Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. Hello, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. We've got a, an exciting episode. We've got another guest coming onto the pod today. Uh, but first, let me welcome my shiny-headed colleague, Langdon DeMint. It's good to be here, Jules. It is good to be here because you might have noticed we're actually in the same room for a change, which is, is great. Reunited, yep. and it feels so good. Yeah. We've had a, had a bit of a bull guys on tour. So we were in, where were we last? Man Manchester last week. Um, Langdon's come and stayed at Jules Towers this weekend, and we've, we've had some entertainment going on. And then we're heading off to Birmingham to the health and safety show um, tonight. Yeah, so it's been busy. Tomorrow. A little golf, a little football, soccer for the rest of us in the States. But it's been good. He knows how to upset me. Yeah, truly. So without any further ado, let's turn towards Diane and, and, and bring Diane into the podcast. It's great to see you. Welcome to Two Ball Guys Talking Safety. Well, hi, Jules and Langdon. It's great to be here. And I'm looking forward to talking about the more modern approaches to safety and talking about examples today so that you know people can rather than think about the theory can can think about more about the practice and that that's great to hear we it's becoming more and more of a theme is is how do we change our approach to safety we've talked to Simon Jones who's the safety salesman we've talked to James McPherson um, and it's great to get guests on 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 the podcast who can talk about real world examples practical examples of of how we keep improving, how we keep changing things. Let's kick off, Dan, just by, just tell us a bit more about who are you and, and a bit about your background. Well, thanks. So I joined BP about 30 years ago um, and I did a number of operational roles. And then after about 15 years, I moved into the safety department. I worked on safety culture and also on learning before incidents, um, looking at risk and the human performance strategy of BP. Um, and then I retired um, during COVID and then I thought, oh, hang on, wait a second, there's, there's, there's more in me. And so now what I do is I do a bit of consulting, a bit of mentoring, and I also speak at conferences. Um, and why is that? Because I kind of got to a point where I'm going to conferences and I'm hearing these great presentations about we need to work, engage the workforce and we need to show the workforce pictures of their children so that they'll work safe and they'll follow the rules. And I think we've just got to move on from this feeling about telling to people to follow the rules or they'll be punished. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why is it that people aren't following the rules? And so that's really in a nutshell what I've been working on for the past few years. Well, that's great. And, you know, you, you said something that I think is also worth noting how oftentimes we get, I feel like a few years pre-COVID and then especially during COVID, we got so caught up in, in thinking theory, in thinking, you know, overall culture. And I wonder if we miss some of the steps of to what you just said, why are people even doing what they're doing? So more of the granular to 
to the actual operation, to trying to understand people because making it real, I mean, of course, that's there's some value to that, but if you also don't look at jobs, look at the task, look at you know the employee as a whole, uh, I mean, there could be a lot of variables that play into why somebody's doing what they're doing or, or, or not doing what they should be doing. Well, Langton, I, I'm with you there. I mean, we, we, you know, there's this, all this conversation about human performance strategy or safety differently. But let's just take it back to where, where you're at, which is, you know, why are we having repeat incidents? You know, why are people not doing what we're expecting them to do? And I'd say that one of the more most kind of famous case studies of this in the oil industry was at a facility in the North Sea where there was um, an electrician working on a junction box. And each time, the, the, well, the electrician would go to the junction box and do the piece of work and cause a shutdown of the entire facility. So the first time that this happened, what happened? Well, subcontractor electrician get sent home, get stamped on their card, not required back on NRB. And so that person now cannot work for that company anymore and their reputation is damaged, right? So that damages their livelihood. So a few weeks later, guess what? Same thing happens again. Another subcontractor electrician comes in, works on the junction box, causes a, 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 a short a short and um, electrical short, and power of the whole facility goes down. Well, so you can imagine what happened, get sent home. It happens third time, get sent home. Happens a fourth time. People going, hang on, wait a second, there's something going on here. Well, so, you know, we, we think that the, the reason why the electricians are, that this is happening is because they're not following the rules and they're careless and they're not paying attention. But actually, let's go and look into it in a bit more depth. So we went in, had looked at this, and what we found were two things. One, that two separate teams were working on that junction box and changing the labeling. But secondly, there was an issue with the labeling of the wires. And what we actually found was a bunch of labels that had fallen down and were at the bottom of the junction box. So we're thinking, oh, okay, so you know, human performance is what people do. And our job is to set up the workplace so that it's less likely that people would make mistakes and it be less confusing for people. So what we have to do is we have to A, fix the junk, the labeling in this junction box. And secondly, not have two separate teams work on it, just have one team work, do work on it. And of course, what happened in this case of this company is they reinstated all the three electricians who had been, had their cards marked, not required back. But this was used then in the, across the whole of the energy in industry as an example of how we, um, you know, people are making mistakes, but the but the context is driving the behaviour. And of course, you know, what happened here was actually a loss of um, operations, um, a loss of production in the in the oil industry. But what could have happened could have been that the electrician could have been electrocuted and, and seriously injured or killed. So it's very much you know, thinking about the case studies and the why of this. It's actually not just safety, it's also productivity. Yeah. 
and and it's interesting, isn't it? It's that I mean, you the reason we're talking is because you wrote a really interesting article for SHP, which talked about how do we move away from the the blame game. And I suppose I'm interested to hear from you what your thoughts are about the the ripple effect as well in terms of behaviours if the blame game is going on. So in that instance where somebody gets their card marked and they're sent home and, and it's you're not going to work here again, what what's the, what, what, what are the sort of other ripple effects that occur because of that? Well, you know, and I, I think even to add to that, in this case, a perfect one, we didn't, it's, it's good because we actually never talked this yeah. in any previous conversations, but then somebody is, rehired because it's kind of like that or yeah. is able to come back on because of maybe there was a process for you know whatever that led to that so then you have the whole is that blame continuing because oh, we got rid of you we messed up we you know just thinking about it from that example also there's a lot of times then you expect them to come back like everything's just nothing fine and dandy yeah. well so we've got the two sides so we've got the first case is the destruction of trust, where we send people home and we, we just blame them. We automatically blame them. And why do we automatically blame them? Not because we're bad people, but because it looks like the person who touched the valve or touched the junction box, that they were the ones that caused the incident. And it always looks like that. It's only when you look at what lies beneath and look at all the different things that are going on that you find out that they're just one in the last chain of many things that happened that led, made the incident happen. And so what it means is that the ripple effect is that people will be less likely to speak up about mistakes or about things that are confusing in the workplace. And there's also potentially issues with reporting incidents or a kind of small issues, which of course, you know, could become much bigger issues. On the other hand, you know, so that's what Jules was talking about. What Langdon's talking about is saying, well, now the people have come back because we've looked at the underlying issues that led to the, the confusion that the electricians were, were experiencing. We, we go, right, you know, we have to fix the way that the workplace is set up. You know, in fact, you know, in this company, this workplace is our house. And in fact, you coming in, you the workers, the subcontractors and the contractors, you're in effect, you're guests in our house. And so what we're doing is we need to set it up, the work, the, the training, the equipment, the procedures, the resourcing. We have to set that up for you to be successful. So now what we have is we have servant leadership. And it's quite a, a big shift because leaders have been conditioned for so many years to have all the answers and to be authoritarian and to tell people that they better follow the rules or not, or, or they'll be get into trouble. And now instead, there's a big shift where, where the leaders are saying, Oh, okay. So there's been an incident. Well, we have very good people. So they must have been in a difficult situation. Rather than say, why can't we get good people? Who's accountable and who are we going to discipline? So it's quite a big change. 
And it's very difficult because for years, we, the safety people, we've been the policemen, and we've also had this assumption that the workplace setup is perfect. Perfect procedures, perfect equipment, perfect resourcing, you know, perf perfect training, everything's perfect. And that when things go wrong, the variable that's the, you know, it's the, it's the bad apples. That could that cause the incidents, and it's wonderful that you know that many industries are just moving on from that view. And why is it? Well, because you get repeat incidents. Otherwise, I, I, I love what you're talking about there, and I love this. I love the concept of servant leadership. Um, it's 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 something I I talk about with, with our teams, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because servant is such a negatively perceived word and, and an old-fashioned word but actually this concept of actually leaders what's, what's your role as a leader your role as a leader is is to empower your people to get better at what they do well especially if you think about it you know, health and safety i mean diane i'm sure you did know i i did we, we came into this profession for the glory of every <laughs> of every of, of the notoriety that it brings <laughs> You know, but it is funny, right? Because... Yeah, where careers go to die. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. in my generation, because I, I yeah. mean, you know, when I went into safety in uh, in the in the early two thousands, is where you know it was it was uh, it was not the most prestigious place to be. Yes. Well, and it was one of those you knew, and and I was a little after that. So when I got into safety, when I went into my grad program, it was twenty, I guess twenty ten. And so it was, it was with that focus of knowing that uh, how important it is and the change that you can make, but really it, you're always behind the scenes trying to make sure people get to their home healthy and safe. And then they're able to return and they're able to do their job as healthy and safe as possible. And I think that's something that we, it seems like we got so focused on, just like you said, the blame, the, no matter where you are, it became inherent that incidents happen. Yeah. Even, even organizations that say they try to look at process a lot of times as a person, whenever you mess up or fail, I'm using that with quotations, that takes that kind of hard. So then I have to overcome and think, think differently about doing that operation. So I think that's a, it's a great point that you bring up and just thinking how we can continue that, that transition for organizations to understand that it's not always about blaming the worker, but it's actually really looking at what led to that. And then how can we ensure for the repeatable and even then the catastrophic, the serious, how can we ensure those don't continue to even promulgate? And there's, there's two quite tricky issues here because on one hand, we've conditioned and trained our leaders and our whole organization to, um, you know, to, to, to try and you know show leadership by you know being firm and 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 holding people accountable um but on the other hand we are not talking about now pointing the finger at leaders and saying they're the wrong ones and we're and we are definitely not saying that accountability is lost okay so i was doing a workshop with a a team last week and we were we were talking about this and they said well you know I, are we, will we still be able to use discipline uh, when we implement um, this, this approach? And I was going, well, well, of course, but 
the difference is that instead of saying somebody's not follow the rules, they're going to be punished. Instead, what we do now is we look very carefully at what made sense to them at the time. Okay. And what difficulties they were struggling with and also the perspectives of other people who do that kind of work. And we actually did this in BP. We did this in um, 2015 and we did a, quite a big study on this of um, over a year and a half, 350 cases of where it looked like people were not following the rules. And in most of the cases we found that they were dealing with quite serious difficulties. So for example, somebody misses a step in a procedure. Well, actually what we find is that it's a 35 step procedure. So, and then somebody goes, oh, well, actually I almost missed out a step um, last week in it. So we go, oh, okay, right. Well, okay. that Or somebody um, altering a scaffolding, trying to reach a very difficult to reach valve um, and, and altering the scaffolding in, the, in a, a way that's unsafe. And we go, well, hang on. Uh, we need to change the work planning for the, the construction of this set scaffolding so that people are not putting a plank on the end of the scaffolding and kind of trying to reach that valve. So what, so that was a big um, education. But what we did find was that there was a small proportion of, of cases where, for example, cop pasting and copying of risk assessments um, because people didn't have enough time. Well, actually, there is accountability there. Yes, they may not have had time to do a full risk, risk assessment. But on the other hand, we can't say um, that we are not going to hold people to account. And so people actually have perhaps a coaching uh, conversation about that or not wearing a seatbelt or which is illegal, of course, or um, or using a mobile phone while driving or th things like that, where there, there are cases where you would start moving into um, in conjunction with human resources, a conversation about what is the level of, of discipline that would be appropriate. So, you know, let's remember that this is not about a putting blame onto leaders. It's about looking at all the different components of the the system. And secondly, b we do not lose accountability because otherwise, I, mean, I think people feel that you know that they're moving towards a no blame culture and and that just is going you know i think it's not understanding the whole complexity of of what's going on and we do not want to take away um the tools that we have in terms of how we manage our companies i think it's like so many things in business isn't it diane we, we we do things in a knee-jerk way. So we say, oh, we've always done it like that. We need to change. But then we go too far the other way. So it's trying to do thing in a, things in a balanced way. And I think to your point, discipline has to still play a part, but it's, it's making it so it's not the default option straight away. So it's not the knee-jerk reaction that it's gone wrong. So we've got to blame somebody. We've got to create a different way of thinking. And... Um, my, part of me or part of my reaction to a lot of this is 
show me the perfect company where where we don't have mistakes people don't make mistakes show me the perfect person who's never made a mistake it doesn't exist it doesn't exist so what we've got to do is create a culture where people when we do make mistakes people react in a way and and i think it's another big part of what you talk about which is right how do we learn from that yeah, and why is it that people make mistakes? Because there's always a difference between how we think things are set up and how things actually are set up. So, for example, I need to get into work at a certain time, but yet when I go to work, the, it's torrential rain and there's roadworks. So I turn up really late, and um, everybody just thinks that I didn't leave work, I didn't leave home on time, and so they might think that I'm uh, that I'm not committed, but but in reality, I did leave an hour beforehand, and things have uh, in the in the environment have have acted together so that I am late. And so it's those. I think if we talk about those kind of examples, you know, examples that everybody can identify with, we don't talk, need to talk about examples from a particular industry or a particular site. But if we just talk about, for example, putting up shelves. I mean, we all know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to put in, you know aside an hour to put up some shelves. How long is that going to take? It's going to take four hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about. Langdon's been to my house this weekend. He's seen my shelves. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that though. Come on. <laughs> I was not going to say that. I didn't even tell you that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the the vase just about stays on it these days. Yeah. That's funny. Sorry, I distracted you there, Diane. <laughs> no, that's I, all I'm saying. It's the practical examples. So if we, if we, rather than you know, sh showing fancy diagrams or or brightly coloured slides, instead if we talk about these practical examples, or or talk about relevant examples from a company or or from their industry, I think that helps a lot because otherwise it almost feels as if people are expected, you know, to go soft and to, um, and, and to not hold people to account. And, and that's definitely what, not what this is about. This is about looking deeper into the workplace setup to understand the really difficult to see risks. Um, like, for example, a piece of equipment that over time, uh, it's a, a kind of a special tightening piece of equipment um, f for a unit which has broken and then uh, and the, then the workforce has actually made a replacement of it and no, nobody's really noticed and they you know, didn't have enough budget to buy it, another piece of equipment and then one day it shatters and cuts somebody's hand. You know, it's those kind of things when you're actually going and looking and saying, well, what's making the work difficult? What kind of issues have happened in the past? What would you uh, say to somebody who's new to the job? What could trip you up? It's those kind of practical co conversations that, that you find out that there's um, a homemade piece of equipment or that there's a, a particular uh, part of the work that's difficult to do or there's um, a, an issue with the maintenance of the, of, of the kit, whatever it is. I, mean, I think there's a, and I wonder, so this is really about to go off kilter slightly so <laughs> apologize I, I wonder if oftentimes we 
think about it because as safety professionals, I think we really can get stuck between a rock and a hard place because a lot of times we're so, maybe it's by the book or regulatory focused because to a certain extent you have to be to have that baseline. But then there's a big piece of health and safety that you have to understand people, you have to understand change management, because you are, you, you're stuck in the middle of working with the frontline workers and you need to have excellent camaraderie with them to, so you're not the safety cop, so you are just another one of the workers. But then also that branch to leadership, to the execs, to how can we help start thinking differently to what you're saying exactly. I mean, a lot of times, over time, jobs slightly transition, or maybe it's one, single aspect of something that's complex, or it doesn't even have to be complex, but it's something so minute, you don't realize that, to your exact point, it has actually driven a change that, you know, kind of like back to the future, it all of a sudden varied a little bit, and we got off from the original running horizontal. I think that's something that is underplayed a lot, at at least in the States. I'd be curious, you know, your kind of thoughts in that realm. Well, I I think it it varies from company to company, industry to industry. This approach actually started in um, the aviation industry uh, in the 1940s and then moved into nuclear in the 1970s, very much in the United States, but, but then has moved into the energy industry, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but I think that it's you know, quite a, it is quite a big shift and you know there's the just trying to um see that the safety professionals are actually agents of change for the whole company in terms of all the different activities of the company not just safety Okay, because the same attention to detail that you have in safety, looking for issues, these issues, these underlying issues that make cause people to make mistakes, um, actually applies to everything else. It applies to, um, for example, cybersecurity. It applies to um, your accounting. It applies to any sort of activity that's in the company. And so what we're seeing now more and more in the companies that are are moving forward with this human and op- operational performance approach is that the safety department is the catalyst of modernization in the company. Because you know, if somebody makes a mistake in a project, let's just say it's a design project, um, or there's something going wrong in a design project, or the design project is very much behind time, Rather than saying, you know, you people just work longer hours and sort yourselves out and uh, do your, you know, meet your, your targets. Instead, you go, okay, well, what are the underlying issues here? How can we help? Uh, what, and it, it, so the safe, what I'm seeing more and more is that, um, that the change is starting in the safety department and then it's moving out towards the whole, the values of the whole company. And that's a, 
a huge revelation. I've seen it happen in quite a few companies where it then this approach, like for example, how we respond supportively when things don't go to plan, how that goes into a company's corporate values for everything, not just safety. And I think I think that's so important, Dan, in terms of we do have to be salespeople as, as safety people. We've got to sell what we do, and 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 actually part of that is is actually safety is not just about keeping people safe. It actually helps a business to be more efficient and to be more effective. Um, I think there's so often, you, if we can get people comfortable to put their hand up and talk about safety, they're going to be comfortable to put their hand up and talk about anything. Um, and if we can achieve that, all of a sudden they can be coming up with uh, ideas for improvements, quality, it, it start, like you said, it starts to affect everything. Um, and I've, I've been thinking as we've been going through all of the examples that you've given. So the electrical short circuit, immediately, if you can cut out, if you learn from that first incident and you cut out the next three incidents, your productivity's gone up because you've not shut the rig down. Yeah. Um, if you think about the homemade piece of equipment, potentially... Again, it's another breakdown. Somebody gets injured, but also production stops. Yeah, and and the thing I was thinking about as you gave that example is the key thing going through my head is: can we make people feel comfortable to put their hands up and say, "This is happening. Maybe we shouldn't do this. We could do this." Um, I always talk about don't bring problems, bring solutions. But but actually create that culture where people feel comfortable to go and say, have we thought about doing this differently? Well, it's definitely a move on from don't bring problems, bring solutions. It's a, it's an, it's a step forward from it. It's actually um, let bring the problems and we'll share. We'll share how we're going to work on this, work on this together. And so it means that people are more likely to bring up the bring up the the problems because they know that it won't be, you know, either that the leader just takes it away and puts it on their shoulders and oh how am I going to do this or pushing it back onto them. What why did you bring me this problem if you didn't bring me the solution? But instead, let's have a conversation here. Right, so we've got a problem with um, how to turn this valve, and uh, and if we don't if we're not actually able to do the isolation and, and fix it, then we're going to have a, a, a big issue with the schedule. Um, on the other hand, we think that um, we might not have all the equipment to do this and uh, we might, might cause a lot of delay. So then what happens is that the team talks about you know, this dilemma. We're now, the problem is now turned into a dilemma. Okay, and the team now talk all about, well, what are the possible solutions? And so instead of one person having brought the problem and the solution or, or the leader taking away and thinking, oh, my goodness, how am I going to work this? Instead, you now have a team because you're talking about it more openly. And, and that works for you know, any sort of issue that you would have in a company. And how do you measure this? Well, every company has a, an annual people survey, or most do, and they usually have questions related to trust um, and care and listening. They, these are standard human resources questions. So you can actually see pretty quickly across 
the different facilities or sites or sales teams. I mean, it could be anything, you know, uh, uh, sales teams, which are the teams that have the higher levels of trust and which are the ones that don't. And in fact, there's quite a famous study um, uh, by Boyce, B-O-Y-C-E, where they show across, I think it's 70 car dealerships of, of with sales, that the levels of trust, when the levels of trust go up, the sales go up. And this is done, uh, the study is done in the United States over a period of seven years. When the trust goes down, the sales go down. So it shows that it's causal, that trust leads to being able to talk about issues that or risks, you fix them, and then you have much higher, um, uh, you know, resu- much better results. So if, if people kind of worry, oh, how am I going to measure this? Oh, no, just have a look at your, your, if you have an annual survey, have a look at those those results around around those questions and then you'll see where the places that are doing quite well with this and the and also the places that aren't doing so well and how you can support the leaders and build skills and leaders to improve trust by them responding supportively to bad news and to you know um, when things need to be fixed that they do it quite promptly and then talk about it a lot so that then people go oh well I'll, I'll bring up an issue then if if you know if I'm going to be uh, recognized and thanked for bringing up an issue rather than being seen as a squeaky wheel. I think, I think it's interesting as well, Dan, because just listening to you there is the, the other thing is, is I, I talk about um, leadership having unconscious behaviors that cause problems. And I think, so we, we quite clearly think about it when something's gone wrong in terms of how do people react. But I think that there's another side to it as well, which is, how do people behave when things aren't going wrong? So what, what are the things leadership is saying? Um, because again, that can have the ripple effect in terms of right the way the people behave. So, so if there's, for example, an overarching focus on production, 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 that's where people's mind is. It's not on safe production. Um, so again, it's sometimes the subtleties of the way that leadership talks on a daily basis or the things they say when they're walking around a facility that, that actually make a difference as well. And it can be confusing. I have seen people say, do the job safely, but do it quickly and do it now, but do it safely. And people are going, well, I don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on here. And so, then they show the production numbers. <laughs> yeah. So definitely having this focus on asking people before anything has gone wrong about what are the issues that and so we don't actually have to say the word safety we could just ask what are the difficulties and this is i mean i think people would have heard about the concept of psychological safety what psychological safety really is is when people are asked or invited to speak up about things it is not about telling people to speak up and 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 them trying to build up the courage to do it Okay, that's that's a common misconception that people are encouraged to do it. No, what we what we mean is that people are actually go and ask at the workplace what is difficult. And when people feel uncomfortable to do that, then you just say, well, um, if somebody was doing this anew for the first time, what would trip them up? And then and then they feel okay. Well, I'm less likely to be blamed then. So it, there's definitely a piece there in this uh, there's 
trying to not wait for failure to be able to learn and to build this um, uh, expectation and, uh, or, and invitation of people to talk about those issues um, rather than for them to have to try and kind of grit their teeth and go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. And I don't know how, I don't know how this conversation is going to go because I'm going to cause a problem. I mean, again, I think one thing we really focus on as an organization is coaching. And I think coaching has got a massive part to play here that it's not seen as this thing that we do occasionally just because we think it could add some value now. It's part of the daily routine. And, and the more it becomes a part of the daily routine, people open up and we'll, we'll talk about things. Um, and and we've, we've really gone to town on it as an organization, not, not around safety even, but around the performance of the organization and individuals. And but what we've seen, it's taken 12, 18 months, but we, we talk about, we, 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 we almost have a cadence of four plus one which is four days working, one day coaching each week. Uh, and that takes some doing to get to there. But it's, it's not just one-to-one -one coaching meetings, it's lots of different types of coaching. But the really exciting thing is when people start to contact you, they come back to you and say, can I talk to you about this? Um, or can you, give me, can, we, can, we, can you give me some advice on this? That's when you start to know that cultural change is actually happening. But that applies to everything. It can be safety, like you said, it could be accounting, it could be anything. But it's, it's showing that this is actually not a one-off. It's not because we've had an incident. This is actually our approach to life now. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes a huge difference because it's the speed of trust. It makes everything a lot quicker. Yeah, and, and you know, we talk about, so something I've used when my previous job and, it, and everybody, I think, has a certain one when you think about kind of a blame cycle. Just that little aspect of if there ends up becoming any type of blame, if it is unwarranted, you don't think about all the other aspects just to what Jules was speaking in regards to whether it is unwarranted discipline, whether it is the, you know, we're talking, we focused a lot on the reduction of trust, but what that really means is system weaknesses are existing, management is gonna have a lack of awareness, Frontline workers also, because they don't have that communication, they don't have that trust. So, I mean, it's a, I think a lot of times we might underplay if there is a discipline focus, maybe it wasn't deserved because we put it on them or however we look at it. I think a lot of times we, we miss really what that, what that led to or what that could have done instead of, instead of thinking of it as an opportunity or, or whatever, however you want to say that. <clears throat> There's a, you know, you said earlier the ripple effect, but there is a lot that really can cascade just from that single occurrence. Uh, and that's the reason why, you know, there's the opportunities to, when something doesn't go pl to plan, how we can actually use that to keep on improving the culture of our organization. And when we are not having any things that appear to be going wrong, well, we're out there looking for the, the weak signals. And I think the coaching is really important because um, how could we possibly expect people miraculously to become amazing leaders and amazing supervisors? I, I find it just a, a kind of, you know, it, it puzzles me that, that we would expect that. 
instead we have to build skills in people we have to get them to practice those skills uh, we need to work with leaders so that they're role models and so that then they're um instead of them kind of going well we're going to punish people to their team they, they're saying right we have to look at the underlying issues and the system weaknesses as you you said langdon then then their team repeat it repeat those um behaviors as well so there's there's quite a lot of effort in terms of skills building and coaching throughout the organization because because it's it, the important thing here is consistency so we have to have the consistency of of response if there's an issue or the consistency of asking people for what the difficulties are um, because you know what if something happens and we have a knee-jerk reaction as as you mentioned then that undermines all the great work that we've been doing to have trust so trying to keep it so we, you know what i've been working with people on is you know literally counting to 10 and then saying um you know, lit, literally this is a, a count to 10 and then say is anybody hurt and then the next question is how can i help literally i've been working with people on that and and um uh, because you know you get phoned up in the middle of the night and you know when you're phoned up in the middle of the night you know it's going to be bad and so just going how can i help it makes all the difference in the world to the uh, the person on the other side of the, the uh, other end of the phone who is having a really bad time it's 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 a great life lesson full stop isn't it is is don't react in anger yeah pause and take time because even even with our kids isn't it it's the, actually you don't react in the right way generally if, if if the if the if the frustration levels have gone up so it's 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 like you say that's a great lesson is count to ten or maybe even walk away for a few minutes and then and then react to what it is that's that's going on um and you'll probably react differently mr rogers daniel tiger i don't know if you're familiar with those here but some lessons just Take a breath, you know, count to three. It goes a long ways. Yeah. That's a yeah. good point. <laughs> I will look up those cultural references later. <laughs> yeah. but it, it, no, it does work. It even goes into the families. And i got to say, I've, I've been, over the years, I've got a lot better at parenting because I've been considerably less grumpy because I, you know, when one of my kids breaks a plate, um, I, I go, okay. Well, it was going to happen. I mean, you know, we are work. We we have got a granite work surface and a and a stone floor. These plates are slippery. It's it's going to happen. So you know, don't have expensive plates, but <laughs> or or go around carrying the plates yourself. You have to think of the different things. So you know, don't have your children carry the plates. So it's those kind of things uh, that then you you just go well. You know, this is, um, you know, the, th these are the conditions under which the, these mistakes happen, and, th and then, and then, and then, my kids are not like scared of me, and um, you know, my husband, my my son, a few weeks ago broke something, and he came and told me he'd broken it. 
I said, thank you so much for telling me, because now what we can do is we can um, look all over the floor for any shards of glass and and the dog is not going to get his his foot cut. Thank you so much. And so we went around together and looked all over the, the, the kitchen floor to see if we, we could find any pieces of glass that are being left. So, yeah, but, you know, he if I had he, he thought that I was going to be really negative when I, he responded, then he may have hidden it from me and you know, put it in a plastic bag in the bin and hope that I wouldn't notice. So I'm you know, really pleased to, 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 be, to be able to um, translate that into my everyday life. And, that, and that's, that's, that's what happens in the workplace, isn't it? There's a really simple saying, behaviour breeds behaviour, doesn't it? And, and there's a for every action there's a reaction and it's a really simple thing isn't it that the way that people react will define what happens in the future um i, I was laughing diane because you, you mentioned the being late for work example oh yeah and it immediately took me back 20 years to my old boss um i'll not mention any names david um but he he, I used to, if you, if anyone was ever late for work, and, it, and I'm talking maybe a, a couple of minutes here, he instinctively looked at his watch and tutted, yeah? And so you think about that, 20 years later, it still comes immediately to mind. His behaviour, and that's a really subtle little example, but it then defines the way people behave in future because of that reaction. Um, I'm conscious of time, Diane. What I'd like to do if it's all right, is, is maybe just finish up with some, you've, you've done this for so long and you've got so much great stuff to say, so I'm, 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 we're only going to get a snippet here. But what, what do you think are some of the really sort of key practical tips for, sa- for safety people, but also for leadership around how do we move the game forward? How do we change things? Well, I think we're getting to a point where... Um, a lot of the issues, the, whether it's in uh, in industry or, in, or or other types of work like sales, where a lot of those are being dealt with, and so the kind of big problems only happen every so often. And so, uh, the my big concern is that we're waiting for things to go wrong before we try and fix them, rather than going out and looking for those issues. So I would say, you know, the the big practical thing is rather than waiting for failure to happen and then for us to learn from it, is actually just to go into the workplace and look for the incidents that are brewing. And what that means is that, no, we don't look at, kind of issues with the number of times meeting rooms are used or anything like that. No, I'm not talking about administrative stuff. I'm talking about, you know, if something goes wrong, then then we actually, you know, have a explosion or a very bad day. So looking at critical tasks or things that are, you know, very um, important, like, for example, with sales, it would be client interactions. You know, how did that client interaction go? What could have been done differently, um, and you know what are we going to do differently next time? So you know, talking about the difficulties of work and making the mistakes and the difficulties of work to, to for people not to have shame about that anymore. Um, so I, th- I think that's the 
the the big one thing is is to you know go and look for those risks and you know it's some people will say well that's overwhelming but i i'm actually talking about looking at the, th the those things that have to go right because if they don't go right then there's a, a big problem and so running through through those that's what that would be my 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 uh, my big my, my my tip for the for the for the future fantastic yeah, great point yeah. and it's great your cat's joined us on the podcast as well so yes his name's yeah. Pippin. it's a perfect time to end yes yeah. he's very Pippin. yeah very friendly yeah we were just we were talking earlier about how the world has changed um with sort of post-covid with, with with sort of zoom meetings mm -hmm. and i think it's fantastic we've now got a cat on the podcast you have so a welcome pippin yeah so pippin's very happy to be here so a very helpful cat Diane, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you. Um, we, we could have talked for hours um, on, on all sorts of subjects. Um, we can always tell when it's going to be a good podcast because it's just easy. Um, and, and that was a really easy conversation. Sure. Um, so we will be sure to invite you back again in the future oh, and, and probably talk some more. Um, but, but thank you for, for, for being on the podcast with us today. It's been excellent. Thank okay. you. Well. And I'll let Langdon wrap up in his usual style. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone joining. Look forward to talking again soon. So everyone, be safe out there and watch each other's back. Thank you. Thank you, Jules and Langdon. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days and about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back. <laughs>